Yesterday is history. Tomorrow is a mystery, but today is a gift. It is not our abilities that show what we truly are. It is our choices. Hello and welcome to Jen Taylor Rerouting, where being rude is never acceptable, but sarcasm is welcome and swearing isn't always a bad option. Let's get started. Hello and welcome to Jen Taylor Rerouting. I am thrilled today. I'm talking to Bridget Deneen. How are you, Bridget? I'm great, thanks. How are you, Jen? Fantastic. And we had to reschedule because my daughter had six extractions, and so that was sort of a crazy day for me, but I appreciate you rescheduling, and now we get to chat. Now we're here. Yes, and you're in Toronto. I am in Toronto in Canada. Which is Canada, yeah. Mm-hmm. <laughs> for anybody who doesn't know. Um, it's funny, I've, I've gotten accustomed to saying Toronto, Canada instead of my province because, you know, dealing with people internationally, sometimes it's more useful to say Canada than to say Ontario. They would just be like, what? No idea. So I grew up in Vermont, so I'm, mm-hmm. and then I traveled across Canada. So that, it's fun. But you don't know right. what you don't know. So it's true. It's true. Yes. Everything's so global now. We're all so connected. Exactly. But we aren't actually physically connected. So it's nice. So I want to talk your website. I have been cyber stalking you like the pro that I am. It's bridgetdeneen.com and it will be in the show notes. And tell me about what you do. I mean, what you do is fantastic. You have a great website. It's awesome. I always like to yeah, like like you wanted me to uh, critique your <laughs> website, but it's it's very easy <laughs> to know. I know, no, not at all. Um, <laughs> it's very easy to know what you're doing and who you are, and so jump in and tell me about this. Yeah, for sure. So I am a resilience coach for women on a mission. Um, Specifically, I dive deep into self-care and boundaries for strong women. Typically, you know, they're the the ones that everybody in their lives turns to um, when they need help. And then they find that for themselves, you know, eek, not really anywhere to land um, because they're so busy helping others. Um, And I can really identify with that role myself. And so that's kind of where where the work was born. Um, And the reason that boundaries is so key is because I've really found that that's kind of the starting point. You know, it's like so many women are helpers, you know, trying to take care of everyone and everything else. And they find themselves trying to live on leftovers. So I am on a mission to try to help women stop doing that, um, to really start to reclaim their time, their energy, and their peace of mind so that they can live in a way that feels meaningful to them. Um, They can develop their dreams and they can make the contribution that they're looking to make in the world. I found that learning to say no was a huge, especially when you have children. So Mm -hmm. you can be a strong female entrepreneur who's kind of lost and that's totally normal. You have kids and I think that is just it's not the kid's fault, but it's an identity sucker. I mean, it just, you forget who you are and where you came from. And that, that is just a level up and saying no is so hard for us. I actually had to then learn to say yes, because sometimes we don't say yes, to, uh, which is a lot of the self-care stuff that you're talking about, I think. But Mm. I don't think women say yes to the things that they need to and no to the things that they need to. So setting boundaries is a great way to state that. And Absolutely. Self-care, I say this in a lot of my podcast interviews, is not a coupon, handmade coupon book from your kids on Mother's Day. That's not self-care. <laughs> I mean, that's lovely. It's lovely. lovely. <laughs> and I cherish them and I'm going to ask for the hug and the back, the back rub. Um, Absolutely. Redeem those coupons. I will rede- redeem the coupons for sure. <laughs> but that's what I think we think self-care looks like. It's this handmade mm-hmm. coupon book that someone gives us. And 
or like, well, I grabbed a coffee, you know, with a friend for 20 minutes and was scattered the whole time and couldn't put my phone down. And that's, Mm -hmm. we've totally lost touch of self-care. Can you go into a little bit about that? Let's start with the self-care aspect. What do you think women are struggling with for you the most in that? And how do you define self-care? Mm-hmm. I love these questions. So first of all, so many women are struggling to find like five friggin' seconds for themselves, right? Um, it's really a matter of being able to carve out a little bit of time. So a lot of the stuff that's out there um, around self-care, like memes you'll see on Facebook, it might sound lovely, it might look lovely, but it's so far away from where so many women are currently living. Um, that it can feel really inaccessible. um, And it can feel almost patronizing sometimes, you know, like this idea of like, oh, go for a spa day. Well, that's not, you know, not necessarily going to change your life. Although if it is, if it does float your boat, it can really make a big difference for sure. So specifically, when I'm talking about self-care, I think of it kind of like on two different levels. One is more internal and one is a little bit more external, hence the the boundary stuff. Um, With my background in yoga and meditation, I am really, really big on learning to down-regulate, meaning taking care of your nervous system. So when we're go, go, go all the time, we're, we kind of end up with this constant low grade tension. And the way you were just describing, like I was with my friend, I was scattered the whole time. It's like, we don't know how to come down. Right. Um, and so when that's the case, we never do. And then we're not sleeping well and it just becomes this spiral. And so they, I use strategic self-care um, through yoga and meditation and breathing techniques in order to help women learn how to literally um, regulate the nervous system and get to that place of relaxation on a more regular basis, even if it's just in a matter of minutes. Right. So it doesn't have to be a big thing um, so that then they can have this new kind of like a, a calm foundation from which to make a, make a clearer decision or, um, or to start their day. So that's kind of step one is like to learn how to master your nervous system and empower yourself around things that you can do that really take very little time and very little money, money to be able to implement um, so that you can kind of start to reclaim some of that peace of mind. That's like the very first step that's so super important. Um, and then the next bit, like they're, so they're like self-care practices and then there are self-care choices, right? So it's, um, you know, you were just talking before about saying yes to yourself and saying no to things that you don't want to do. And that's absolutely a part of self-care as well, right? So making loving choices, um, prioritizing our own needs, or even just putting them on the list at all, you know, is, is a baby step that I think is, um, is an important place to start for a lot of people. Because again, it might like putting myself first, what? Like I'm not even on the list, <laughs> you know? Um, so even just kind of putting yourself on in the first place can be a good place to start. But yeah, so that internal stuff of actually working with your own body, your own mind, your own nervous system, and then that more externalized stuff around like, how are you navigating your life, your calendar, your external obligations? I always hate when people are like, you need a spa day. Like, spa days are great. I've had them and they're wonderful. I'm not dismissing Mm -hmm. that. And, but they're expensive. They're incredibly time consuming. You know, there's all of that. And it's not something that generally women can do on a regular basis as maintenance and self-care is a maintenance plan. It's like getting your oil changed and, you know, we don't even hesitate to do it with our kids or with our vehicles or with other people. But mm-hmm. I love, and you do breathing also, you have something called the mm-hmm. breathing room. And I, I didn't look too much into that. Is yeah. that part of the yoga meditation? 
It is. So that's actually a free program that I have available. Um, and it's really um, that first step. Um, it includes five, uh, five guided meditations or breathing exercises um, that specifically teach you breathing techniques that will help your nervous system to come to that more relaxed place. So when I say that, it's basically um, being able to activate your parasympathetic um, nervous system so that you can, you can start to calm down. That's the rest and digest part of the nervous system. Um, so it's a, it's a five-day program. You get five separate um, guided breathing exercises that are five minutes each. So again, super simple to, to implement, along with some videos just to prompt some self-reflection, um, like kind of around, around your stress response, around um, some, of your, some of your choices and that sort of thing. So it's kind of like dipping your toe in the water of just being able to learn to cultivate a sense of calm in a split second, you know, when you don't really have the time to do it and just kind of planting the seeds around like, what am I actually doing here? And how much of this is on purpose and how much of this did I just kind of fall into? And maybe I want to reevaluate. I loved when I learned that breathing is the only part of the, of your, like the whole nervous system that you can control. But mm -hmm. by controlling it, it then regulates everything else that you can't Absolutely. directly, like in, when you're in an anxiety attack, for example, you can't necessarily control the anxiety attack. You're in, you're in a different part of your brain. You're not feeling mm -hmm. joy, but you can regulate your breathing, which in turn regulates your anxiety, which in turn, and so everything comes back to breathing. And that's Absolutely. phenomenal. And you're right. I, I think people really need to understand when you say meditation, I know for me years ago, I thought, well, I can't focus that. Like, it's not about that. And I love guided meditation because I don't have, you're focusing me. I'm not focusing mm -hmm. me. I'm just pr following your prompts to continue to bring myself back to that place. And over yeah. time that gets easier, but I won't, there's no meditation for me where I sit quietly with no sound in a room, cross-legged with my hands on my knees. It just, that doesn't exist in my world. But guided meditation, like you said, five minutes breathing, and it makes an enormous difference in your life. So I love it. It's this. so powerful. It yeah, doesn't have to so cost powerful. anything or take any time. Yeah, really. absolutely. Absolutely. It's so true. And then there's the external. And I think I'll throw something out there and you let me know your take on it. Mm -hmm. We don't admit the things that we either do not like to do or are not naturally good at. So someone asked me once, are you good at everything you do? And I said, yeah, because I don't do the stuff I'm not good at, <laughs> which, <laughs> which isn't like a cocky thing. Like literally, I find you, you have free meditation things. I need them. You're my resource. I'm not doing it myself. Mm -hmm. You know what I mean? You find people that are good at the things that you lack and they become your resources. Yeah, absolutely. And then you don't have to do the things you're not good at and you don't like. So do you find that to be the case? Like you have to admit it. There's no shame in admitting. I suck at mm -hmm. this and I don't like it. Yes, absolutely. It's, you know, there's really this epidemic of feeling like we have to go it alone or like we're supposed to already have everything figured out. And if we admit that maybe we're struggling with something, then the sky will fall or that we'll, we'll suffer a loss of identity, right? Especially if we pride ourselves on being strong and resourceful and, and being able to figure things out, you know? So to actually have that moment of reckoning where you're saying, okay, you know what, I'm actually struggling with this and 
being able to kind of drop into our common humanity because the truth of the matter is that we all struggle and we all suffer. And like you said, there, there are things that um, for every single one of us, there's stuff that doesn't come naturally. And so, especially in this day and age, I mean, there's so many resources to be able to support you for those things. It's a wonderful, wonderful um, thing to lean into. But um, even just shy of that step though, I find that so many women may not even allow themselves to um, complain in the first place. And I, I kind of put complain in air quotes because it's like they, they believe almost that um, they should just be grateful for everything they have um, because somebody else has it worse. And so they end up convincing themselves to like suck it up you know? Um, and so even getting to the point that they're thinking, okay, I need some help with this, or maybe this thing would be helpful to me. Um, even that can be a struggle. So I just wanted to acknowledge that as well, because it's wonderful to be in that place of having clarity around like, okay, I tried this thing. It's, I, I'm not so good at doing it on my own. Let me get some help. But even getting there for so many people can be a huge leap because we're, you know, we're really trying to, to be kind and to be appreciative and all of that stuff. Um, so even admitting that something, although it's great or although it's lovely is still not quite working for us. Um, even that is a leap. That's so sad to me because it's, no, <laughs> I'm so sad, but I, I totally agree with you. And I like the way you put that because we can't, we can't all be good at everything. It's not possible. It's not possible. And why, hmm. you know, it's like the, the Pinterest boards where every lunch looks perfect. And I am just, I, I, my favorite thing is to look at Pinterest fails. You guys oh, need to search. Watched, go watch what? Have you watched Nailed It? On Netflix? Yes. I don't like oh the the, the one. Oh, it's, she's my favorite. Oh my gosh. <laughs> I watched the first one and we were like, oh my gosh, she's driving me crazy. But yeah, that was like my favorite show idea because yeah. you see the Pinterest version and you're like, go ahead yeah. and make it. And you know what? Epic fail. Yeah. It's hilarious. <laughs> Why is that a bad thing to be like, I'm not good at that, but I know someone who is good at that. And mm -hmm. like you said, the world is so close now. Um, I'm terrible at making flyers or like I have a public speaking engagement next Monday. So mm -hmm. I messaged my best friend and I said, I need you to make these three flyers for me. Why? Cause she does it in five minutes flat and it's beautiful. And I will be throwing my computer against the wall. I'm good at lots of different stuff, but that that's not one of them. And she doesn't have to live anywhere near me to help me with that. Yeah. yeah it's so good to find in, those things to delegate. Tap yeah. in, right? So mm -hmm. were you were you born and raised in Toronto? We're going to take it back. Oh, yeah. Yes. Born and raised. Lived here all my life. Okay. Only child? Other siblings? I have two siblings, uh, brothers. One is a couple of years older than me, and one is a whopping 10 and a half years younger. What was that like? Yeah. It was... Um, it was amazing, actually. Um, it's, a, it's an experience that I appreciate very, very deeply. Um, like I actually, I literally remember when he was born. And so that's a really powerful memory for me. Um, and I just, it was very interesting because I was old enough to really feel that, that sense of love um, and how special it was and all of that. Like I really had a sense of my own place in the world when he was born. Whereas I think if you're a bit younger, you know, it's exciting, but it's kind of like, is this a doll or a person, <laughs> you know? Um, right. Yeah. And so it's, it's interesting because when you have that much of an age gap, um, very often you end up being sort of like a quasi parent as well. Um, so it's a, it's a very unique kind of a sibling relationship where, um, 
you know, I really feel a strong big sister vibe <laughs> towards him. And then also really, really protective and, um, and really just a big fan of his life. So, so it was really cool to, to watch someone grow up that much later than myself. Cause I mean, the world really changes in a decade, right? So living in the same house and yet having such a different life growing up is, is pretty remarkable. That's amazing. So <laughs> tell me what year you were born just so we have some relation to yeah, 19, 1979. Yay, I was a 70 baby, so I love it. Right on. Um, so in Toronto, so tell me about childhood, because I know your business, which is amazing, is born from your struggle, which is common mm -hmm. for a lot of us women who are helping people yeah. uh, when, we, when we launch our businesses later on. Mm -hmm. So take me growing up through anything that kind of triggered. Let's take, you, take us through our, your story. Mm -hmm. And because I know that your family looked fabulous from the outside. So let's go mm -hmm. through that. Yeah. So um, as for myself, I was a really high achiever from a pretty young age. Like I did all the things I loved, loved sports. Um, and I was really encouraged to participate in those things. And so it was kind of like this hub of activity. And we would go on family bike rides across the city along the waterfront every Sunday, which was a great activity and um, tons of camping trips, but not just camping. We went on canoe trips, um, even way up in the Northwest Territories. So I had like this really, um, a really full and adventurous childhood um, that, as you mentioned, looked like pretty darn perfect <laughs> from the outside. Um, and yet at the same time, uh, our family on the inside was actually pretty dysfunctional, as I think a lot of families are um, and and were in the 70s. Um, I feel like the world is kind of waking up now and there's a lot more information there about, um, about parenting and getting over your stuff and, and all of that. So there's a lot more resources out there. Um, but yeah, we definitely had some, some dysfunction going on within the family. Um, various family members have struggled with, uh, with addiction and mental health issues, myself included. I, I ended up having an eating disorder and anxiety and depression, which I'm sure we'll get to later on. Um, yeah, so it was sort of like, the keeping up of appearances, you know, we did lots of really cool stuff. And yet on the inside, um, I was really kind of carrying a lot, um, a lot of suffering from from a pretty young age, too. Um, so it felt almost like these, it felt like this big kind of disconnect or a dissonance in my life, like it looks really great. I should feel really great. I'm doing all the things. And yet, why do I feel so empty? And yet, why, you know, why do I feel so unworthy and not lovable and, and all of that stuff. Um, and I wasn't really able to name that until my twenties, probably um, until then it just kind of felt icky um, and, and kind of growing anxiety over the years while I continue to really push the, the high performing part of my personality. All the way through college. I mean, wait, yeah. I want to go back to high school. You mm -hmm. were the high school valedictorian and mm -hmm. all kinds of athletic and academic awards yeah. mm -hmm. competed. Yeah. I mean, you, you were pretty much a badass in high school. Like hashtag all the things. All the things. <laughs> so I was like in grade nine, I was the only grade nine who made it into the musical. And, um, and then I was probably on like eight school teams every year. I was the only girl on the golf team. Um, I, we had a, a girls hockey team too. So that was really fun. I played hockey. Um, I ran track. I ran cross country. I played basketball. Um, and, and yeah, did the musicals and that sort of thing too. So um so in my graduating year, I was the high school valedictorian and I got, they had a few different awards for like the athletic assembly. And so I think I got, I'm trying to remember what they were. I got the award for like combined excellence in academics and athletics. And I got another one. 
I'm trying to remember what it was called, but it was something related just to athletics. And I was the first person ever to get two of the three main awards at the athletic assembly in high school as well. So it was sort of like, I just, I really felt like I turned it on and, and I was in high school, I was basically, you know, um, told like, if you do all the things, you're going to get all the scholarships, you will have all the choices in life and everything will be perfect and you'll live happily ever after. And so because I felt like I had the capacity and a lot of the natural abilities that would um, kind of um, match up with what was valued by society, then that sort of came naturally to me to push myself in academics. I, I graduated with an average of 94.5% or something like that. Um, yeah. So just really, really working it, working it. And even when you lost the student council election to the guy who shaved his head because he won, if you vote for me, I'll shave my head. That's the, that's, I mean, it, that's so high school, job. right? Good. That's great strategy. I, I have to right? say. So you just started a new student run organization. Yeah. I, cause I was really passionate about like making real change. And I, um, at, at the time our school didn't have intramural athletics. We just had the competitive stuff. And yet I saw, you know, this, this opportunity to really create a sense of community and to, um, you know, to invite people into more of a recreational, recreational leads, league. So I started this, I forget what it was called. I think it was the activity council or something like that. Um, and essentially it was about creating activities uh, for students to do. So I still kind of like tried to carry out my mandate on my own terms, just by making a whole new thing. Um, I mean, I think because yeah, I wasn't going to shave my head. So no. But short of shaving your head, this was a pretty epic thing. And you were doing hashtag all the things, but still were like, let's add more things. And you know mm -hmm. what? I think I don't want to dismiss the fact that when we feel grateful for our lives and appreciative and like you're doing all of these things and you had all these, uh, some fantastic experiences. Mm -hmm. Let's not dismiss the fact that those are wonderful. However, yeah. right? Because I think and a lot also. of women... And also, it's the and also because women, I understand, like, I'm very grateful for, I, I could make, a, I had to do uh, for a class a list of things I'm grateful for, and it was three pages. Mm. We're not at a, lo a loss for finding things to be grateful for. Mm -hmm. But the and but, or at what expense, or yeah, except, is the part that I think we need to be careful of. And that's kind of what happened to you, correct? Yeah. Because you went to college. You went to uni It's called university. Mm -hmm. <laughs> <laughs> and you're this kiddo, young adult, who's doing exceptional things and feels empty. So yeah. let's jump into that. Yeah. And so the first moment of emptiness that I quite consciously recall was after my high school formal. So like the fancy dance at the end of the year, I don't, I forget what they call it in prom. America. It's prom. prom. Okay. Prom. Yes. Um, I didn't know if it was prom or homecoming or what it was, but yeah. anyway. Um, yeah. So after prom, um, I made my own dress, by the way, I designed and made my own dress. Of for course prom. you did. Of course I did. I would have been and disappointed otherwise. <laughs> And I'm sitting in the car afterwards and I just started bawling. And I thought to myself, I've heard so many people say that these are the best years of your life and that this is it. And like, I, I won a bunch of things, right? Like all that stuff happened. And I was like, but like, if this is as good as it gets, if this is as good as I'm going to feel, I might be screwed. <laughs> You know, because I was still so full of sadness, like all of the accomplishments, as much as it was fun and it was fun to be celebrated, it just didn't 
like none of it really filled me up in, in the way that I was hoping that it would, you know? And so I still sat there with like, I can have all these trophies around me. Um, and yet on the inside, I just, I didn't feel whole. I didn't feel like I had a place to belong. I didn't feel like I was fully seen. I felt as though I had constructed this identity, <clears throat> excuse me, that was purely based on performance. And I had no idea what, what would happen if like I didn't meet people's expectations. It's like, well, I'm used to exceeding their expectations. And so we have no problems. But like, what if I suck at something? What if I stop being good at stuff? Like, who am I then? Who, I, who am I without all of this stuff? Um, and so that, that's kind of when those questions started for me. And then I went to university. I studied international relations. Um, and I, the specialization was um, international civil society, globalization, and culture. So I, I studied a lot about immigration, refugee studies. Um, and I did, and of course, just because we're going to say all the things, <laughs> we're going to keep saying all the things, the university that I went to um, was bilingual. And so you could do your degree in your second language if you wanted, because why not? Like you might as well take micro macroeconomics in French. Um, oh so I did God, that. You're killing me. <laughs> <laughs> For no good reason. I just did uh, it. Um, yeah. And so, and so I was still in that place of pushing and like, what's the, how many certificates can I get at the same time? And like, what's the hardest way I could possibly do this? Cause it'll be so impressive. And, um, and then I just hit a brick wall. I, uh, th those kind of nagging feelings that I started to experience at the end of high school became more and more pronounced. And I found myself really dragging myself out of bed. Um, like just unable to get moving and um, and so I did eventually speak to to a medical professional. I was diagnosed with um, general depression, um, sorry, general anxiety disorder and clinical depression. Um, before that, though, before that happened, what, how, okay, so we all manage our stress or discomfort in life in one way. How were you, I mean, you felt like you couldn't get out of bed. There was stuff like that. You were having anxiety and some depression without realizing it. And then what were you doing? Mm -hmm. And I, I don't, I'm trying not to think of another word, but we, we feed ourselves something to try to make us feel, we're trying yeah. to feed the emptiness, right? And yeah, how, absolutely. how are you doing that? Yeah. So I, that's, that's right about when my disordered eating started. Um, so I was already an exerciser. I, you know, I did, because I did so many sports and in high school, I sort of, I didn't continue with organized athletics in university, but I did work out quite, quite regularly. And then, um, as a result of all the, having all the feels <laughs> moving from all the things to all the feels, um, I slowly, but surely got to a place where I was, um, eating tons and hiding it. Um, I ended up, and that would be like a nightly occurrence. I was, um, writing down everything that I ate and making sure that I literally burnt every calorie that I had over consumed. Like I was tracking all of that stuff. Um, so if I'd been wow. 2,500 calories the night before I would work out 2,500 calories the next day. Like it was, it was intense. Um, that but nobody intense. knew it. Yeah. Well, and it was a secret. At, at that point, was your weight fluctuating at all? It started to, yeah. So, so it was catching um, up with you regardless of the fact that you're trying to burn yeah. it all off. Oh, absolutely. Cause yeah. it's, I mean, stress, stress affects your physiology in such yeah. a clear way that, you know, it's, it was stressing out my system. I mean, I had the anxiety and kind of the, the mental health stuff going on, but even the physical stress of putting your body through those extremes, it's like your metabolism is like, what the heck are you doing? I don't know what's going on. So I just started to yo-yo a ton. I gained, I think 40 pounds, mm -hmm. um, 
at the most, which looking back, I feel like is, is not as bad as it could have been. You know? <laughs> like Given what I was doing to myself, it could have been way worse. Um, but at the same time, it's like it really did wreak havoc on my body. And um, somebody at, at work actually um, had an intervention with me in the bathroom one day. And because a few people had thought that maybe I was pregnant, which I was not and chose to ask me. <laughs> That's when I learned you never, you never assume someone's pregnant. It feels really crappy. Um, but yeah, she, she had this intervention with me and was like, I don't know if you realize that you've gained some weight and I, and you know, and it's, you need to take care of yourself. And I was like, yeah, you know what? I didn't notice that I went from size two to a size 14 in about four months and I had to buy a whole new wardrobe. Thanks for pointing it out though. <laughs> People can be so mean. I mean, that's shocking to me that that Okay. No, I'm not pregnant. Yes, I do know. Like, yeah, like quite aware. Holy cow! So, like, where where self esteem may be a little shaken anyway, and you have issues with just gaining the weight in the first place. That that yeah. adds insult to injury, and that's when you, you were aware, of course, and you were self conscious, like all of us would be. And forty Absolutely. pounds is forty pounds. You're right. It could have been a lot more, but it doesn't feel good. Yeah. And you notice it, you can really feel it. And the thing is too, it was also the, the weight of my emotions, right? I mean, it was kind of like my body was this physical manifestation, but like just the weight of holding the secret and the shame around what I was doing to myself um, was just that and that was probably heavier than the weight, the physical weight. Right. So then you ended up going to, you decided, you know, what I think is interesting is when you're talking about your, um, your prom and you're like 18 years old mm -hmm. and, but you have the introspection to really look at the fact that you feel empty and why, which is a really young age to be that introspective. I think I feel like, and then here in your college years, you're really, you realize through this that you need to take a closer look and you mm -hmm. did. That's a very, that's scary when you're in your forties. <laughs> Yes, I've come to realize that now. But you did it at a really a pretty that's pretty phenomenal. I'm I'm giving you a lot of kudos for actually recognizing and acknowledging and then looking for help. Because in high school, at the end of high school, you weren't looking for help, but you were very aware, which is Yeah, I knew I something was wrong. Right. So yeah. who did you see at that point? Because I know that this is a scary place to be, right? Yeah. Yeah. So even that, even navigating the process of getting help was not a straight line. It was not fun. Um, and it, that in and of itself required a lot of resilience. So um, first I, I reached out to my family physician um, who gave me a referral because here in Canada, um, we do have some therapy that is covered, um, covered by, by um, our healthcare. And so, uh, but there's a, there's kind of like a big range of what you can get access to. And it's kind of the luck of the draw, like who's in your doctor's network, who's taking patients, like all that kind of stuff. Right. So, um, yeah. So the first person that I, I went to see, I ended up walking out of the office. Um, cause I had some, like I was, as you mentioned, I was a pretty self-aware woman, <laughs> young lady. And, um, so I just kind of laid it out there. I was like, I, I'm now realizing that some stuff that happened in my childhood is coming back to bite me. And I'm, I was actually at the time, um, uh, off when I was actually seeking help, it was at the point that I had a full-time job. So I was like done university at that point. Okay. And, um, and 
so I was off work on a, a, a wellness leave because of my, my mental health issues. I had a total meltdown at work one day and I didn't go back. I just couldn't stop crying. Um, and so when I reached out, it was first through my, through my family physician. And when I said, when I said to this particular therapist, like, this is the stuff that I'm dealing with, he's like, okay, so you're telling me, you know, because of stuff that happened in your childhood, now you're off on benefits. And I was like, okay, we're, this is incompatible. <laughs> like, if you're a psychiatrist, you. I feel like you should kind of know that, you know, childhood issues are absolutely going to affect your mental health. And yes, one of the consequences might be that you end up on uh, on wellness leave. So, um, so there was that. I ended up similarly because it was um, because I was on benefits at the time. There was kind of like a work-related um, employee assistance program, and so and they want you to go and be evaluated. Um, and so then I went in for the evaluation, and again, this is a doctor I've never met before, and I just had some questions. I wanted to know what goes in the report so that I could decide how candid to be. Um, and she refused to tell me what was going to go in the report. She said, "Well, if you're not going to tell me everything, then you might as well leave now. Your benefits are going to end tomorrow." And I, um, and this, the office where I was meeting her was in a, like a kind of a rinky dink public mall kind of a place. And so I'm in like the basement of this, of this mall. And I just collapsed on the ground, just crying my heart out. And I thought to myself, like I was, I was at a really low, low at that point, And I had, I had had suicidal thoughts. Um, I was not at the point that I was going to take action, but definitely like those kinds of images were coming up in my mind. I'm thinking to myself, man, like she has no idea like how, like how much of a dark hole I'm in right now. And it could, I could be worse than I am for all she knows. And, you know, here I am feeling stuck and like help is not available to me yet again. And people are just going to judge me and, and assume that I'm trying to game the system. Um, and so when I, when I left and I was trying to get back in my car, someone had parked so close to me that I couldn't open my door to get in. So it was like salt in the wound. Like I just had this terrible public meltdown. I'm feeling like the worst I've ever felt in my life. I might not have any money as of the next day, like zero. And I can't even get in my friggin' car <laughs> to be able to drive home. I'm like climbing in through the passenger seat, like just pure shame and embarrassment. It was awful, awful. In any case, Fast forward, I did eventually find um, help that was very suitable to me. Um, I ended up doing cognitive behavioral therapy. I ended up getting into meditation. And at the same time, I just started attending yoga classes at my, at my local gym and kind of made my own little dynamic self-care um, practice around all of those various components. So the person that you finally got, did you lose your benefits? No, I did not. They rescheduled. I could, luckily, I had a I had a very compassionate um, representative there. So um, when I spoke to him, he's like, "It's clear to me that you're not making this up. Like, we'll just we'll figure it out. We'll set you up with a with a different person to to come back in." And then it turned out that the it was two doctors actually that I saw that time, and they were very helpful and resourceful. Okay. They gave me some referrals and and all that sort of stuff. So like, I had to be really persistent around my boundaries in negotiating getting help in the first place, you know, it was like, because to, to go ahead and share these really vulnerable parts of yourself and to get help, like you've got to feel safe in the first place. And I was just kind of shocked that like when I was putting myself in a position to ask for help, I immediately was getting judgment and no safe space here time and time again. So yeah. So the boundary stuff runs deep with me because even yes. you know, all along, every step of the way, it was like boundaries, boundaries, boundaries. In a lot of different ways, not just in one way. And that's, mm -hmm. I mean, one of your boundaries was I will not tolerate seeing you if you're not giving me what I need. And that's, yeah. that's a really tough one for a lot of people. So yeah. the, the yoga and the meditation helped. And Engage, yeah. then 
you know, dealing with shame and depression and anxiety. It's interesting, you, in, in what you wrote to me, you said, I unearthed all the lies I had internalized about never being good enough or being too sensitive. And how much do you see that now with the pe- women you're working with? Mm-hmm. Yeah, that's a really good question because it's, it's front and center. You know, yeah. I mean, we really, we absorb all of the shoulds. Mm-hmm. We absorb our family's expectations around how we should behave um, within the family dynamic, as well as the choices we should be making for our lives. Right. And we sort of try, we sort of try to build our lives according to what's going to be accepted, you know, especially because we're in our culture, we make these decisions so young, right? I mean, you're making career choices when you're 18. Like that's, that's crazy to me. <laughs> now that I'm almost 40, I'm knocking on 40's door. I'm just kind of like, what? Why? <laughs> that is I know. I tell, I've told all of our kids, don't even take anything that you find remotely interesting. Go for a general education degree and get the experience of the, yeah, because, and just know you'll probably be back there doing something different at some amount of time down the road, but don't be, there's no, there should be no stress involved. It's a self-exploration that never ends, but yeah, the high school counselors like, well, you have to pick a major. You have to know what you want to do. And I tell all my kids, just give me your number, let her know to call me. You do Mm -hmm. not have to have, because how, you, how, how we're asking kids with no life experience or limited life experience to make this enormous decision for the rest of their lives without Mm -hmm. any actual experience on their own outside of their parents it's the most ludicrous system in the world but that's a different mm-hmm. so, so true i'm thinking back now there was one helpful thing that my, that i remember my mom saying when i was a teenager and she would just kind of say you know what i still don't know what i want to be when i grow up exactly. <laughs> and that was kind of a relief you know it's like oh okay maybe i don't have to have it all figured out and yet but i had already you know turned that pressure on myself anyway that was part of who right. i become like figure it out <laughs> Did you know the words self-care when you were doing the yoga and meditation or was that a journey for you? Um, I would say that was a journey for me because I, I guess if we, if we look back, we're talking like 18 years ago now and I, yeah. I don't know how much self-care was being talked about. I mean, it was definitely a term. It definitely, like I've, I know that Audre Lorde, for instance, um, back in the day, um, absolutely there are quotes from her talking about self-care for sure, um, but it definitely didn't have the mainstream um, the, the mainstream, why am I not thinking of the word right now? It wasn't as mainstream <laughs> as, as it is now. Um, and so I wouldn't have named it that. I didn't necessarily know what I was doing. And I didn't, you know, for instance, I didn't necessarily understand the connection between um, like exercise and mental health because there's a huge correlation there as well now. Um, and, and it's a, a definitely a proven thing that one of the best things you can do, your, do for yourself if you're, if you're feeling funky like that uh, with anxiety and depression, those sorts of things is to just get moving, you know? So I was doing stuff that felt good to me um, and I was giving myself the room to do that. And it just so happens that it's backed by science and I didn't know it at the time. But, uh, but yeah, as I sort of just allowed myself to, to find things that, that resonated, um, those are the pieces of the puzzle that came together. You're very unique because, I mean, still you're at a pretty young age and you're really allowing yourself to explore. And like you just said, find things that feel good to me. I think so many women are stuck in what, what needs to get done. And Mm. we don't stop and take a minute to explore what feels good to us. And yeah, it's all backed by science now. We have internet now. I mean, like you can find anything online. Mm -hmm. Um, But, and and although it's still, it's so much more mainstream. I mean, you are pioneering that 
hey, just take a step back and find out what feels good to you and what makes a difference positively, not even knowing. So that's pretty amazing. And you're welcome. Well, it's very unique. (laughs) And now I'm understanding more because I know that your business world came from your personal struggles, which is um, 100% of people I interview. And so I love putting that together, mapping that out and how, and so it makes total sense to you. It wasn't that it was an easy journey. It was that it was a worthwhile journey. And I think women miss even just that. Mm-hmm. So you would have ended up, the path that was laid out for you, you completely diverted. Yeah. What, what did that feel like at the time? Was it scary? Oh, terrifying. Yeah. <laughs> it was both. It was terrifying and such a deep relief all at the same time, which is a very unique kind of a feeling. But for me, that's how I know I'm on the path because the terrifying part is stepping outside your comfort zone. But the re- relief is when your soul is saying, yes, this is, this is what we're supposed to be doing, right? Um, when, I was, when I was younger, I read this quote that said, make the little decisions with your head and the big ones with your heart. And when I heard it, I had no idea what the heck that meant. It sounded not like what I was being taught. <laughs> um, but I, in my heart, I knew that something was there, right? And so basically like that rerouting of my life um, was essentially that it was like moving out of my head and into my heart and starting to feel into what fulfilled me rather than thinking about and strategizing about what the best thing to do is with the particular skills that I possess. You have that on your website and I love it. Hmm. And most people, most coaches will tell you, stop, stop thinking. <laughs> feeling feeling can be uncomfortable it's scary you have to face some demons so what would you have ended up doing yeah so the the path that i was on um was kind of heading towards being a lawyer of some sort um and, and specifically with my interests it probably would have been some sort of um it could have been maybe refugee or human rights law or um just something related to international relations for sure. That was, that was kind of where I was going. So it was, I mean, it wasn't the total straight and narrow in terms of like, I'm going to be a corporate lawyer or that sort of thing. Or like, I'm going to maximize exactly how much money I can make under this particular umbrella. Like I wasn't quite all in on that level. Um, but it was like wanting to do some good and yet doing the most smarty pants thing I possibly could, um, in a conventional way. Um, but yeah, when I hit that brick wall of, of my mental health stuff, it just kind of, I just felt like I couldn't, you know, it, it really stopped me dead in my tracks and I had to reevaluate. I just didn't have the same follow through that I, that I used to possess. Um, and so I really spent a number of years like scaling back, simplifying, taking all those layers of pressure away and just giving myself the space to look after myself. And so then what emerged at the end was this notion of like, oh, you know what, this is kind of like doing this coaching stuff and doing that, like when I I started teaching yoga, for instance, this all felt to me like a microcosm of what I had originally wanted to do anyway, because it's like you can do your work in the world to, to be the change, but ultimately each one of us needs to do our own work in order to be able to contribute to the world as well. Like it's, it's, it's part of this continuum, right? Because without that self-awareness and self-knowledge and ability to, again, like master your own emotions and, and state of mind, um, 
we all burn out, we all get derailed, you know, and it, it requires particular skills to be able to stand up and be courageous and make the impact that you'd like to make in the world. So I needed, I needed this detour in order to be able to then amplify what I was able to put out. And the kind of cool thing that I didn't see coming is that there's this whole new way for it to be expressed through me that feels uniquely me based on the stuff that I've been through, um, rather than something that like kind of looks good on paper. So different, so completely yeah. different. You know what I think is so interesting is that a lot of us, our career paths, we're going down the road that fit us internally, but a little off. Like what we're doing is a parallel universe to what we would have done mm -hmm. in a much better way. Because you being an attorney in that way was still feeding that desire to help people. It was still, you could still use your struggle you know, in that line, but it wasn't the best way. It wasn't the best yeah. fit. Yeah. I think that that's so fascinating. And you got to take your trial, your suffering and do something totally different that fed that desire in a better way. So you actually became a resilient resilience coach. And um, tell me about how did you even find that? Cause this wasn't mm -hmm. yesterday. Yeah. So, um, so even that was kind of an evolution, like right around the time that like everything hit the fan <laughs> back in my early twenties, I, um, I ended up leaving that job from which, um, I had taken a leave. Like I went back and then I ended up quitting, um, because it just really didn't fit and I knew it, it, it didn't, um, didn't fill me up. And so I did, I still didn't know what I wanted to do. Um, but I knew that for instance, I was passionate about wellness. And so I thought, you know what? let me be a personal trainer for a little while. And uh, at the same time, I'm also, because I'm so multi-passionate, I'm also a singer and songwriter. And so I thought to myself, well, let me be a personal trainer. Let me try this music thing and see how that goes. Like just give myself some time and space to explore that stuff um, without necessarily thinking about where it was going to head in the next few years. Um, and so then along my personal healing journey, when I ended up getting into yoga for my own healing, I, I shortly thereafter then took my certification in yoga and started teaching yoga. Um, and because of all of my own personal healing, I really learned a lot about, um, about the stress response, about physiology, about resilience, my own resilience as, way, as well as the way that it just works in the body. Um, but even back then, I knew I wanted to be a life coach. <laughs> I was, um, but I was 21. And I was like, who wants a 21-year-old life coach in whatever year that was? 2000? Yeah. In the year 2000, who wants a 21-year-old life coach? And I was pretty sure that nobody would. Um, but even now, like, I would challenge myself on that from back in the day. But at the time, I, was, I always gravitated towards that stuff. And those were actually the conversations I was having with my fitness clients at the time. You know, like women were coming to see me to lose weight. And the conversations we would have around would start to be around, you know, um, carving out time in your own calendar for the things that are your priorities and what it's like when you have so many people that are pulling, um, pulling your attention away. And when you have family members trying to express their love for you through food and you want to say no, but they're going to be offended. You know, so all of that was still boundaries. It was like, how do I carve out this time and space for myself? How do I insist on my own well-being? given the relationship dynamics that are going on in my life, given the expectations that everyone has of me. Um, so those conversations for me have been happening. Like that's the type of coaching I've been doing for a very, very long time. Um, but then I didn't formalize that until um, 2013 when I signed up for Martha Beck's life coaching certification program. 
And that kind of, that basically gave me the framework that I was looking for. It's like, I was kind of intuitively going through this stuff and I had, you know, taken many different workshops around um, behavior change and all those sorts of those sorts of things, but this went way deeper and it really gave me the structure that I needed to be able to very professionally help people in this particular way for, for cultivating transformation and making real lasting change. It was great that you were able to navigate a lot of that on your own and recognize it. So, but this gave you the kind of the structure, right? The voice, mm-hmm. the, the certificate <laughs> the yeah. behind all of it. Yeah. And it's funny because it wasn't, um, where I know a lot of people get caught up in this idea of like needing, needing to have another course or needing to have another certificate. Um, and in my case, although it, it might look like that from the outside, it actually felt a little differently because you, with Martha Beck's program, you don't have to actually technically get certified. You can take the course and be a practicing life coach and you can also get certified if you want, which is a separate process at the end. And I hadn't decided at the beginning which one I would do. I just knew that I wanted these skills. Like I wanted this framework. I wanted to feel really fluent at this stuff. Um, it was really out of sincere interest um, and desire to be able to help people in that particular way. Um, and then for me, the certification process was actually more about getting the feedback from master coaches. You know, it was like, I, because the thing that I find with my clients, this has always been the case, they might care about a certification before they know you. Um, they might, you know, they, it kind of, people rest assured that like, you've got something, <laughs> you know, like you're not just making this up as you go along, but then once they meet me, it's all resonance. Like it has nothing to do with, oh, she has this particular certification. Therefore that's why I'm hiring her. Um, and I don't know if that's everyone's experience, but that's absolutely been true for me. Like nobody's, nobody really cares what my certification is once they've got an experience with me of some, of some description. And then, you know, they, they feel that change. They know they know the value of the work that I do. They know what it feels like. And so the certification is not really so important. Um, but for me, it was about, again, just feeling really proficient and having that opportunity to get feedback from people that have been doing it a lot longer than me. That's amazing. And yeah, you're right. The certification isn't entirely necessary. So I think a lot of people flip the coin on that one. Um, but looking at it from the way you looked at it was a great way to get it right? Mm-hmm. You were looking for yeah. more feedback from people that were even better than you. So yeah. you took all this experience and all this information that you've been gathering for years on clients that you're already working with and created, created your business, created Bridget Dandine, Dandine, sorry, <laughs> dot com. Okay. I, I'm, the D's are really messing me up. I mean. <laughs> um, and how did, so how did you narrow down boundaries has always been a big deal for you and overachieving, um, healthy eating and exercise has the yoga, all of that stuff. How did you line it all out and where are you now with your anxiety and, and, uh, eating and stuff like that? Mm-hmm. Um, so it's in terms of how it came to this particular iteration, it's been a very slow evolution. So I've, been, I've actually been an entrepreneur. I'm going to guess how many years I feel like it's 11 or 12 years now. Um, and at first I actually, my business was called moving stillness, personal fitness, and it was all about um, well-being, right? So I had the, the personal training part. I had the yoga part. Um, and again, I would be having those conversations around boundaries, but technically it was about, um, it was about health and fitness. Um, and so over the years, as I, as I continued to move along, um, I, I just kind of allowed things to emerge and notice the themes that felt most resonant and, and heartfelt for me. Um, and so even when, even once I became certified as a life coach, I still hadn't landed on the boundaries thing specifically. And it's funny because, um, 
Uh, do you have a lot of entrepreneurs listening to your podcast? Probably, I presume? yes. Yeah, yeah. yeah. So you know how um, they tell us that you need to speak your client's language? Yeah. Um, so I got a lot of advice a few years back around, well, Bridget, nobody's going to know what boundaries are. Like that's a little bit too too deep or whatever. Like you're going to have to kind of, I don't know, find, find client language around that. Cause that's not the way people talk. And it's so funny because looking back, I would have been like the, one of the first people talking about boundaries in the coaching space if I had just done it. Right. So um, for me, that was another lesson in, in authentic self-expression and not, um, you know, not sacrificing that entirely for the sake of trying to sound like your clients. Um, and now that's really something that I'm embracing is just speaking in my own voice, because that's something that I've actually received a lot of great feedback about is the way I put things and, you know, how resonant um, the way I express ideas is. And I, I put things in perspectives that maybe people haven't considered before and connect these dots for them. And so, you know, in trying to in trying to use my client's language, I was maybe not connecting those dots in those particular ways. And I was trying to meet them earlier in the process. And meanwhile, I think I, looking back, I think maybe I did myself a bit of disservice around that. Um, but essentially when I, um, I guess it was probably like two years ago now that the, the boundaries thing was really like, okay, yes, this is it. Like, I don't, I don't care what people say. <laughs> like This is actually what it is for me. Um, and it's also my activism. It's also feminism in action for me because, um, you know, it's, you're, you're asking me before about like, how often do I run into clients that, that really need to kind of examine all the stuff they've internalized about how they're supposed to be. And whoa, like if we want to talk about the gender implications of that, that's, you know, it's huge what we're taught as women, how we're, how we should behave with our families, how we're supposed to put other people first, how we should be quiet, how we can be too much, like all of that stuff is very much related to our boundaries. It's like allowing ourselves to take up space, allowing ourselves to share our opinions, allowing ourselves to express ourselves fully, right? So, um, so really that's my mission. And for me, that's kind of how it comes full circle um, back to that whole like wanting to change the world thing. <laughs> because in my estimation, the more women that we have that are self-actualized that are coming into this place of, you know what, I, I know where I end and where you begin. I know what I'm responsible for and what I'm not responsible for. And your feelings fall into the category of your business, <laughs> you know, and I'm, I'm responsible for, for my contribution. The more women that we have that are able to stand in their power and to, and to do what, um, what feels the most resonant to them. It, I mean, it's, it's going to be an absolute game changer. I think it really is going to change the world. Um, and so for me, that's kind of how it all, it all ties in. And it's, it became like this kind of a clear picture that the evolution is, is now complete <laughs> as it were. Yay. And boundaries is, yay. I love that. Yeah. And it's true. We all kind of hold back, don't we? What feels right. And I, I think that's pretty common and you're, you're right. If we just let it happen in your language, then the people that, that need your language will hear it. So, yeah. so now people can reach out to you. You do public, you do a lot. There's a lot on your website. It's, mm -hmm. it's really easy to, digest it all but there's a lot that you do from public speaking to workshops to one-on-ones to mm -hmm. free things you have to download and yeah. working with you in the, in a coaching capacity and so all you ladies that need to kind of <laughs> be reminded of your boundaries and all of us are different all of our boundaries are different I'm sure yeah absolutely I think that's an important point to make too because you know um some listeners might be thinking, oh, she's going to tell me what my boundaries are supposed to be or judge me for what I want. No, 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 no. <laughs> 
time out. Absolutely not. The whole point of it is to be self-defined, right? The whole point of it is for it to come from the inside out. And that, that absolutely does not mean me imposing my ideals and my version of what I think works onto other people. It has everything to do with helping people to, um, I like to say, stop shooting on themselves, number one. Secondly, to really sense their truth. So understand the language of your own heart, your own soul, your own body, so that you can allow that truth to come up, to rise up because you've been pushing it down for so long. And then I also do a bit of teaching around the skillfulness of um, the art of the courageous conversation, like being able to actually start to create those things that you want for yourself in the world. But it's, it's very much about being self-defined, you know, and, and living on your own terms for sure. So glad you pointed that out. I think it's a beautiful place to end our chat. And mm -hmm. I really, Bridget, I really appreciate you. Thank you so much for sharing. Oh, thank you so much for having me. It's been my pleasure. Thank you so much for listening in to Jen Taylor Rerouting. Like, share, and of course, comment. I welcome input with attitude. Get a copy of my book on Amazon, Hello, My Name is Warrior Princess, or check out my website, jentaylor.net. And if you still want more, sign up for one of my coaching packages.